You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Greetings, South Bay Church. My name's Tim Summerlin, and I bring you greetings from the Denver Church in Colorado. I'm very excited to be with you today, and I want to let you know something as I get started. The South Bay Church is very dear to my heart. About seven or eight years ago, I started a ministry called Disciples in Motion, and the South Bay Church is really the first church to get interested in this work I'm doing. Uh, Steve and Jackie Marici, Brian Craig, of course, Clay Jackson were instrumental in listening to me, giving me ideas, and giving me a platform to speak on. So I want to let you know I'm really grateful for those men and women and the way they helped me get started. Like I mentioned, um, I do have two ministries I want to let you know about. Uh, One is called Disciples in Motion. It's a ministry for recovery. It's for any person with any issue. So we open it up to everybody. And um, it's just a ministry that uh, is focused on Jesus. It's something that we we really believe in, is that Jesus has the answers for all the needs that we have in our life. So that's Disciples in Motion. And then I also lead one called The Grief Journey. As many of you uh, were part of yesterday, I wrote a book on the grief journey, and um, we have a ministry that helps people. As Clay Jackson will let you know, he's been instrumental in um, leading many groups very effectively in the Los Angeles area. So those are two ministries that I'm very passionate about. And if you're ever interested, let me know, and I'll definitely get you trained so you can um, uh, lead those groups. You know, we're coming out of a pandemic now. We've never done this before. Whoever expected a year and a half ago or whatever that we would um, be coming out of a pandemic in 2021, a worldwide pandemic that has just rocked our world. And uh, I want to talk to you for a little bit today about some of the ways that we can come out of this pandemic and how to how to minister to people around us. Um, you know, we live our lives primarily for Jesus. We may be of different races, genders, backgrounds, certainly our politics might be uh, different from the person sitting next to you right now. But, you know, we don't live our lives primarily out of those things. Those are all important, and we certainly talk about those in the Denver church. But we live our lives primarily as disciples of Jesus. We want to uh, have him lead us and show us how to love other people. So I want to talk to you today about that um, and just how we remain disciples of his, not by our efforts, but by the blood he shed on the cross. You know, we respond to the cross. We respond to what he's done for us. That's what brings us our salvation is the cross, not what we do. Our lives simply reflect the work done on the cross of Jesus Christ. I understand last week Brian uh, preached a sermon, I heard it was pretty good, on after Easter. And um, he talked about, you know, our witness um, and how the Spirit of God works inside of us to help other people. It's not all about what we do. It's more about us being led by God and loving the way Jesus loves So today I want to talk about loving our neighbors. How do we love our neighbors? How do we love those in our community? How do we love brothers and sisters in the church, our family? You know, we live in a hurting world right now. We're divided by racism, by uh, politics. The COVID-19 has divided us in many ways. Um, We have gender discussion issues on and on. We could talk about all the challenges 
And we individually hurt as well. It's not just the people around us, but many of us in the audience today, we hurt. I know I felt very challenged uh, in the last 14 months or so. And we don't have all the answers. That's for sure. I've learned as I get older, I don't have all the answers. But there's one thing I can always do. I can love. You know, and that's what I want to talk about. What does it mean to love people in a very practical way? Jesus even told us once, he said, love your neighbors. Now, when Jesus said that, he meant it. He meant to love your neighbors. Love the people right next door to you. Love that guy down the street. Love that family two doors down. Um, now, I understand he also talked about, like with the parable of the, uh, of the Samaritan, that anybody that's hurting is our neighbor, right? But there's a foundational um, command from, from Jesus himself that we're to at least love the people that live in our street, in our neighborhood. So I want to talk to you about some of the ways today that we can love our neighbors. And this is going to be a very practical lesson. Um, but I think it'll be helpful. It'll probably be a reminder for many of you on uh, some things to do. But I want to um, talk about um, what I call the insights of a 12-year-old, okay? And we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to talk about how he uh, listened to people and asked them questions. Very simple concepts, and yet they're very powerful. You know, we ask, um, we listen to people and we ask questions so that we can understand them better. Um, what a difference that makes when we truly uh, with love and patience, listen to people. You know, sometimes, I know I've done this before, I get too focused on what's right. And I always, of course, I always think I'm right. But I get too focused on things, what's right and what's wrong. And I put that over my relationships. I'll tell you a quick story here. Um, years ago, when my mother was still alive, um, we would get in these arguments, these political arguments about George W. Bush. This is back in the early 2000s. And we would go at it with each other. We'd argue and discuss. And, you know, finally one day I decided, I was praying, I decided, I do not want my final conversation with my mom to be about George W. Bush. Okay? And, um, and I decided I'm just not going to engage her in those conversations anymore. And the final couple of years of her life, we never talk politics. And you know what? I'm super glad we didn't. I'm really glad we didn't. We talked about our lives together. I talked about what a great mom she was. Uh, we had some wonderful conversations, but we never talked about George W. Bush. And I realized from that experience that I will always put relationships over my opinions about things. I'll never let my opinions ruin a relationship. So let's look at Jesus. Let's look at the way he connected to people. You know, in one way, evangelism or reaching out is all about connections. It's the connections we make um, with one another. Whether it's in the church, our community, our neighbors, friends at work, that kind of thing. It's all about connections. So I want to look at Jesus at age 12. Let me ask you a question before I read this verse in uh, Luke chapter 2. By the way, we're going to Luke 2, Luke 2, verse 41. Let me ask you a question, though. What were you like when you were 12 years old? Think about it for just a second. Some of you may have to go way back, right? What were you like at 12? I thought about it for myself. You know, I was pretty awkward. 
I was very unaware, self-centered, didn't brush my teeth very often. I'm not sure I even took a shower very much. I was just an awkward 12-year-old, right? Most of you are probably pretty similar to me. Didn't really have a lot together, but not Jesus. Let's look at this guy, Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, and start with me in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, he traveled, or they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. What an amazing story this is. You know, Jesus with his family and all of his cousins and relatives, they go to Jerusalem. Some scholars think that up to a million people were in the city at the time. They have a great time at the festival, I'm sure. And then they're on their way home. And they're traveling for a bit. And you can imagine maybe Mary turning to Joseph and saying, hey, where's Jesus? And Joseph goes, I don't know. It's your turn to watch him. She's like, no, it's your turn. They they get a little bump or something. And all of a sudden they start panicking. Where is our 12-year-old son? They run amongst all all the relatives. They can't find Jesus. So they turn around for a whole day and go back to Jerusalem. And then the Bible says for three days they looked for him. They couldn't find him. You can imagine the panic and the stress that was going on. And then they finally find the 12-year-old Jesus. What is he doing? Is he out riding a bicycle around? Is he playing marbles? No, he's not doing that. Playing a video game? Nope, not Jesus. He's at 12 years old. He's sitting in the temple courts with all the smartest men of the city. He's sitting with them, and the Bible says he's listening to them. And that he's asking them questions. So much so that the people that watched this scene unfold were amazed. His parents in particular, they were astonished. I don't know if there's a stronger word in the Bible than the word astonished. I mean, it carries quite a bit with it, right? So let's examine Jesus as he listens and as he asks questions. I want to just share some things with you that I think can really help you as you connect to other people. Whether you're building a relationship Maybe you're, um, you're helping somebody through a problem. Maybe it's, it's resolving issues with you and another person. These are all relational concepts that Jesus demonstrated for us and that I believe would really help us. You know, the Bible says Jesus listened really well. You know, to make sure that God, um, when God wrote the Bible to make sure we understood this concept, he uses the word listen or hear 771 times in the scriptures. It's in there all over the place, 771 times. There's this one time in Matthew 17, love this story. You remember Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, they meet Moses and Elijah there. And, you know, you would think Peter would be like, oh my gosh, I just need to listen and find out what's going on. But not Peter. 
and not us usually. Peter says, uh, um, hey, uh, it's good to be here. Can I build some huts or a booth? And in one of the Gospels, it even has in parentheses, he did not know what he was saying, right? You ever done that before? You ever just said something? And as soon as you say it, you're like, ah, I can't believe I said that. I've done that too many times in my life. So what's happening here? So Peter's talking when he should be listening. So much that God came down, enveloped the mountain with a cloud, and he spoke out of the cloud. And this is what God said. He said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Right? Can you imagine Peter? You know, we do that so much. We talk way too much and we don't listen enough. We're too much like Peter. You know, the difference between an active listener and a passive listener is what goes on inside the heart and mind of the listener. You know, we can passively hear people as they're talking and not be engaged. Or we could be an active listener where our hearts and our minds are engaged. You know, when Jesus wanted to communicate, he often stopped for a moment to clarify the need for listening. So let's talk about a few points here on how to be a great listener. You know, first of all, humility is the key to great listening, to be an effective listener. You've got to be a humble person. You've got to um, just take a stance of humility. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should be quick to listen. Now, how did James know that? Well, James grew up in a home with an older brother named Jesus. In other words, James watched Jesus grow up. He watched Jesus listen to his mom and dad. He watched Jesus listen to the neighbors, to the people in the village, to his relatives. Jesus listened, and James remembered that, and he wrote it in his book. You know, uh, when I listen to people, one of the things I do is I try to take a stance of what I call not knowing. In other words, I want to be very curious. I don't assume that I know answers to people's problems. My job is to listen and learn by taking a stance of not knowing. It's not just a technique that I use. It's called curiosity. I want to have a a genuine um, character in my heart of being curious about people's lives. You know, too often I hear in conversations, and I've certainly done this myself, we have this big need to relate to other people. You ever felt like that? Somebody says something, and then you want to jump in and say, oh, happened to me too. Um, We have this big need to do that. And if you feel the need to relate, be careful. You might be getting ready to hijack a conversation. So sometimes we overdo relating. We feel like we have to relate. And what we end up doing is having a circle of three or four people and everybody's basically talking about themselves and nobody's being listened to. So be careful when you feel the need to relate. You know, also, it takes a humble listener to listen when things hurt. You know, in the church setting especially, but in other settings as well, we get hurt in our relationships. And oftentimes, when we listen to another person, we're going to hear them speak about ways we've hurt them. And that's hard. Talk to the people in the ministry. They hear that all the time. 
Um, and that hurts. But we still have to listen. You know, it takes humility to listen when you're hurting. Go ahead and listen anyways. The opposite of a humble listener, that's called a distracted listener. Their eyes are darting. They're not tuned in. Maybe they're thinking more about what they want to say, the point they want to make, than they are listening. Listening engagement takes great humility. Here's another thought. We seek to understand by learning another person's perspective. When I listen, of course, my temptation is to think about my perspective of what they're talking about. That's my history, right? But here's what Proverbs chapter 18 in verse 13 tells us. To answer before listening, that's folly and shame. You see, if I speak to people without listening to them, if I assume I know what their perspective on life is, then I'm not listening. And the writer of Proverbs says, that's folly and shame. Um, I've learned um, that what's important as a listener is not my experiences, but what my friend is communicating about their experiences. That's how we listen to other people. Their perspective is their reality. Whether it's right or wrong, it's still their reality. Here's a statement that changed my life about a year ago. This was actually told to me by, um, by somebody during the racial um, divisions that we had in our country um, at the height of those last summer. And I read this, uh, or this person told me this. He said, he, he said, it's amazing how many people have such strong opinions about lives they've never lived. Now, they were referring to um, the experience of our black brothers and sisters in the U.S. And obviously, as a white male, a man of privilege, um, I had no idea what their experiences were like. So my job has been, over the last several years even, to simply listen to them and ask them, what's it been like for you? Would you help me understand what your life is like? And it has changed my life in a revolutionary way. Um, some of the stories I've heard um, from, my, uh, from my brothers and sisters in this area. But you know, it's really true for other issues as well. Um, I haven't lived the life of other people, so I don't really know. I only know my life. So my job many times is to be a listener, to find out, to learn from their experiences. One of the ways I do this is I park my judgment, okay? Um, usually when people are talking to me, in my mind, in my heart, I'm making judgments about them. Not all bad judgments, but I just make judgments. When I make a judgment, which is what we all do, it's very common, um, we're basically just forming a thought about what people are saying. What I try to do with that is I park it in the back of my head. All right? And I just keep it back there uh, for a later date. Uh, as a professional counselor, I have people come into my office I, I counsel a lot of teenagers, actually. And sometimes they'll tell me these really bizarre stories because I tell them, I say, listen, when you're in my office, this is a safe spot. You can tell me anything you want, okay? And I don't, I don't necessarily tell your parents or anything. I just want to know. So they'll start telling me all sorts of crazy stuff they're doing. And as a parent, man, I want to interrupt them and just, you know, let them know, like, how bad that is and you're going to hurt yourself. 
but I don't. I park that judgment for a later time. And you know what happens? They keep talking. Somebody once told me the job of a parent, the number one job of a parent is to keep your kid talking. And so I learned from that. I thought, yeah, I'm going to just keep people talking. And the more they tell me, the more I listen. And they usually get it all out. They empty their hearts out. Now, I told you I park that judgment. What do you do when you park something? You go get it later on. So the next day, I might go grab that kid out of a classroom or something. And I'll say, you know, you spoke to me about some things yesterday. I'd like to talk to you about those today. And then we have our talk, right? So do that with people. Learn to park judgment. Give them space and time in order to talk through their heart. You know, somebody once said there's no dialogue if you've already got your next answer ready. Jesus said it better, actually. He said their ears are closed. If you've already got in your mind what you want to say as somebody else is talking, then that means there's no dialogue going on. Dialogue means there's open-ended conversation back and forth. Um, You know, another thing that we can do when we listen well is we can hear about dysfunctional thinking in people's lives. And, you know, the Bible teaches us that, um, like, Satan is a father of lies, right? He's like the the, uh, deceiver. It the Bible says his uh, his native language is lying. It's what he does. And when we listen well to people, what we will hear is we'll hear about how those lies have impacted their lives. And that can be a powerful tool to help people out. So when we're good listeners, we can hear the lies from Satan and actually help them reverse those. But we've got to pick them up when we're being good listeners. You know, finally, in this area of listening, uh, we have to practice patience. This is hard work. Um, It's hard to develop the kind of rapport and trust that people require to be open with us. We've got to love people authentically, not because of what we can get out of them. I talked to my daughter once a few years ago. She was on a mission team in China, and she'd been there like 10 years. They finally got home a year and a half ago and brought with them a little granddaughter of ours. But um, but I years ago, I asked her in China, I just noticed she had so many friends that she'd reach out to. And when she reached out to friends, she kept them as friends. I said, Danielle, how do you do that? How do you keep so many friends? I And then I think I even said, don't you just like drop them off if they're not interested in church? And she said, Dad, that is not authentic. That is not an authentic friendship. If you only reach out to people to get them to come to church, that's not authentic. You're using them. And I and I said, well, how do you maintain so many friendships? And she said, what we do, we try to do is get a bigger heart. She says, as I grow with my friendships, my heart has to get bigger. And it really challenged me to think in terms of how do I reach out to people? Am I an authentic friend to them? Or am I only reaching out if they give me something back? So that's some of the points about being a great listener. Jesus' heart was to listen to people. And when he did that, secondly, he asked great questions. And let's just talk a little bit about the questions Jesus asked. I've studied these for a long time in the Gospels. And I've got a whole lesson I teach about the questions that Jesus asked people. They were powerful. Jesus connects humble listening to wise and effective questions. He was absolutely stunning 
with his ability to ask questions that totally changed the direction of not only the conversation, but those people's lives as well. Simple questions with perfect delivery and timing. Here's a few thoughts about the kinds of questions Jesus asked. First of all, Jesus asked questions that created open dialogue. Like I said before, there's no real conversation or dialogue if you've already decided what you want to say to people. Don't be so busy formulating your response and then not know what to say when they're done talking. Listen intently to people talking and then you'll be able to create dialogue. Uh, It makes it very difficult to be present in a conversation if you're always thinking about your response. Hey, the Holy Spirit can give you responses. Our job is to listen. Sometimes dialogue happens when we ask open-ended questions. Big picture questions. Things like, hey, how's your marriage going? How's life going for you? And then listening long enough to get the answer. Sometimes in marriage counseling, I might ask the question, tell me the story of how you two fell in love. I want to know that. People love to tell stories in their lives. So I often ask questions that point to stories that people tell us. Here's another thought. People's minds go in the direction of the question asked. So if you ask accusatory and negative-centered questions, that's where people's minds go. People think about their responses in the direction of what question you ask them. So if our questions are focused on the problem at hand, then that's where people are going to think about is their problems. If our, connect, if our questions, on the other hand, are focused on solutions and connections and building relationship, that's where their minds go. That's the direction they go in. So people will go in the direction of the kind of question you ask. Um, you know, sometimes um, we've asked, or I've heard this before, and I've done it myself, we'll ask like an accusatory question. I hear ministers do this oftentimes. Um, you know, let's say, let's say you're talking to somebody who's struggling with reading their Bible. We might ask an accusatory question like, do you really love God? Or we'll say, when was the last time you had a Bible study? Or we'll point back to the problem with our question. A better way of asking those kinds of questions is, how can I help you love God better? Or tell me about a time that you really loved God and what was going on back then. Those are much more effective questions. We think about the direction um, of our responses based on the question you ask. So think about asking questions that are going toward the future and positive solution-oriented thoughts. Here's another thought. Questions examine our hearts, our attitudes, and our motives. You know, questions reveal the hearts of both people involved. It's not just the heart of the person who we're helping. It's also our heart as well. The kinds of questions I ask reveal my heart. They reveal what's going on inside me. They might reveal impatience or a lack of faith, or maybe my questions indicate there's still a lot of hurt in my life. So remember that your heart's on display as well as the heart of the person that you're speaking with. Um, Here's another thought. Questions allow people time 
to respond less defensively. Have you ever been in a conversation where you felt like it's almost like a battle between you and the other person? Maybe you're just making points with each other. I've done that before. I've just like thrown a point and then they throw a point at me and we just trade points with each other. Nothing ever changes. When you ask a good question, instead of doling out advice or opinions, ask questions that are thoughtful and that give person the person you're talking to, give them time for reflection. You know, silence is good sometimes. So we can ask questions that help people to not be defensive, um, but give them time to think through and then thoughtfully answer you. I have questions like this sometimes. Um, when somebody's telling me something, I might say, tell me more about that. Or could you help clarify that for me? What you just said, can you help help me understand that better? Or I might say, what you just said I'm really curious about, what does that look like? And then finally, great questions um, lead to more sustainable and positive results in people's lives. When we ask good questions, we help people to walk away and think about change on their own terms. You see, when we ask questions, what we're doing is instead of telling people what to do, we're, we're helping them figure out life on their own. And um, I think that's really important, even in the church setting, that we, we want people to take personal responsibility for their lives. We don't want to simply tell people what to do. Um, it's just like a, a child. I mean, when my kids were little, of course, get in the car, we're going to McDonald's or whatever. They just did what I told them. <laughs> but when they became teenagers, that didn't work anymore, right? So we had to start reframing how we tried to raise them up. And um, questions oftentimes are helpful for people to make their own decisions and their own change. You know, I was talking to a brother recently, and... Um, He's having a very challenging time in his marriage. They've even talked about divorce. So it's very difficult. And we talked a lot about some of the things that were hurting. And we had a long conversation. At the very end of the conversation, though, I asked him an open-ended question that I wanted him to think about. I said, brother, um, I want you to imagine next year you're teaching a class in the marriage retreat with your wife. What would be the title of that class? And I wanted him to walk away and ponder that because he had lost all motivation. That's an example of a question that allowed him to go away and think through his life in a much more thoughtful and nuanced way and hopefully was, is leading to change. So there's just a few thoughts we have about questions and listening. Jesus is amazing, you guys. Keep reading your Bibles. Keep looking at his ability to listen to ask questions, to have great understanding of people's lives, and ultimately to see people change in dramatic ways. You know, Jesus had a profound impact on those he interacted with in a short amount of time, which led his friends to make dramatic changes in their hearts, their thinking, and their behavior. It takes practice, patience, and perception. Pray during conversations. Listen intently with all your heart and ask questions that will move the conversation further down the road toward connection. Imitate Jesus. Think like he thinks. Challenge yourself to be like him 
as he changed the entire course of human history in the hearts of people like you and me. Jesus lives today and changes people now just like he did 2,000 years ago. And the remarkable thing is that he uses people like you and I to do so. We've talked today about Jesus and the amazing connections that he made with other people. The greatest connection, however, is the connection he made by dying for us. Jesus said this, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, all people to myself. Jesus said at the very weakest moment of his life, that was when he would draw the greatest connection with you and I. There's no greater connection than Jesus on the cross. This is the connection that saves us. It motivates us, and it creates great, immense gratitude within us. So at church right now, wherever you are, we're going to take a time of communion. We'll take some bread, eat it, and we remember the body of Jesus. We remember the amazing sacrifice he gave of his body. Not just on the cross, but throughout his years of life. And then we drink a little bit of juice or wine. And that reminds us of the blood that he spilt for you and I. We do this as individuals, but we also do it as a community, as a church, to proclaim his death and all that it means to us. Thank you very much for your time today. I'll pray for many blessings in your life going forward. Let's go ahead and pray to God. Father, you are truly amazing in that you gave us your very son. And you gave him to us at the time of our life that we were the weakest and the most helpless. That's when he rescued us. And so right now we want to take this bread and wine to impress upon our hearts once again the amazing cross of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for what he's done for us. We're grateful to be part of a community, a church, where we are like-minded in this way. And we want this time for us to deeply impress our hearts, to motivate us, to move us, to live our lives every day for you. We love you so much, God. We're so grateful. And we pray all these things through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.